Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode 8 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, follow the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to get the latest news, including new episodes dropping, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, I talked to NHL goaltender Jeff Glass. I had a chance to catch up with Jeff this past summer, and I can't believe all the different experiences this guy has gone through. Jeff's story begins right here at home, but as you'll hear in this episode, the sport of hockey has taken him all over the globe. His journey is pretty unique in that he didn't make his first NHL start until he was 32 years old. The epitome of why you should never give up on your dreams. So we'll cover all the stops along the way to his eventual debut in the show with the Chicago Blackhawks. There are some pretty amazing stories in there with the team. You don't want to miss out what he has to say about Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. Another great piece that we touch on in here is if you remember that 2005 World Junior Canada team, Sidney Crosby was on there, Patrice Bergeron. Jeff Glass was actually the goaltender for that team. Plus, we'll get into how he and a couple friends started the Sweat Lab, one of the hottest yoga bar spin studios in town. It's located in Aspen if you're here in Calgary, but if you're out on the West Coast, make sure to check out their North Vancouver location. Well, it looks like the glass wall is all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Excited to have Jeff Glass paying a visit to Story Island today. How's your summer going so far? Oh, it's been a great summer so far. Um, What's was, the funnest it, thing you've done? The funnest thing we've done this year, we, actually my wife and I were able to take a trip to Napa. So never been to Napa before and uh, we went down there for a couple of days uh, without our little girl, which is uh, first time away from her. We left her with grandma and grandpa. So uh, that was kind of the highlight of our summer. Were you checking the phone every 20 minutes to see if everything was okay? Yeah, I, th- I think my wife was a little more than I was, but we uh, we knew she was in good hands, but it, it's tough that first time leaving her by herself. So Jeff, you were born in Calgary. Born and raised. Born and raised in uh, in the south part of Calgary. And uh, I grew up here playing hockey. I was a Buffalo um, in, in the south uh, southeast there and uh, moved away from home when I was 15 to Crow's Nest Pass to, uh, to play in the AJHL for the Crow's Nest Pass Timberwolves. So actually just went there on a kind of a tryout and it wasn't supposed to be much it was supposed to be kind of a prep for my midget triple a year and uh, the coach told me he wanted me on the team so uh, I don't think my mom was quite ready for that but uh, it meant a quick move away from home go grab my stuff in Calgary and uh, spent the winter in Crowsness Pass. What did those conversations with your mom look like in terms of leaving home and you know maybe she had a certain path that she had envisioned for you yet now you're presented with an opportunity to play outside of Calgary at such a young age? Yeah, no, I, I don't think any of us were ready for it, but it was uh, it was exciting. It was exciting for me, and, and she's always, both my parents have supported me um, through everything, and they've always had what's best for me in, in, in at the front of their minds, and um, I'm forever thankful for that, and that's probably why I am where I am, because I've had such a great support group, but um, I keep bringing my mom up. My dad was 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 there uh, too, but I think he was a little bit more proud, and he was okay with the situation. I think st- stealing away uh, my mom's firstborn there at 15, I don't know if she was quite ready, but it was a good transition year because uh, the reality of it was I was able to play hockey, and it wasn't that far away from town, so she'd come out every other weekend and bring some stuff and help me out, and it was a perfect transition year from 
uh, maybe living at home to growing up. And you were already playing goalie at that age. Yeah, no, full-time at that. I think I switched over to be a full-time goalie uh, about eight or nine. Uh, but my dad did a great job of teaching me that, you know, all the positions were important. I had to learn how to skate. I had to learn how to play all the positions. And I got a lot of respect for defensemen and forwards after doing that. Now, I love being a goalie. I love the equipment. I love everything about it. So it was an easy pick for me to be a goalie. But there was a there was a year where you had to decide. There was no more switching. You had to be one position. And... I think I want to say I was nine years old, and that's when I decided I want to be a goalie. A question I wanted to ask you, Jeff, is a lot of times I hear that goalie is such an expensive position to play at such a young age. How did you sell your parents at nine years old that you were going to take this seriously and that was going to be your main focus? To be honest, that was one of the hardest parts. I, looking back, I still don't know how they did it. And my parents did just fine, and we weren't, we didn't, we're a normal family that grew up in Calgary and had everything we ever wanted as kids. But it was, it, looking back, goalie equipment was crazy expensive. And um, I, when we first started and you were rotating, I know we had community equipment. So they would loan you equipment and it would get, uh, you could rent out gear, blah, blah, blah. And, and that was great. And uh, my first set of gear was used and there was some, some good use sets. And I'll never forget the first set of brand new equipment that we got and, you know, bringing it home from the store and, I still remember it. It looked exactly what it looked like. And, and the it, smell. The smell. It was brand new gear and going into the store and getting to go to the the new side of the store instead of the used side and picking that out. It was it was really cool. And that's a big part of it. And I always I always joke about it now with other other kids' parents and stuff that hey, you can't get into don't don't do that to your parents. Don't be a goalie. But it is a very expensive position and um I was lucky enough to have more than enough gear. So how did that first year go for you? Age fifteen, that transition out to Crow's Nest Pass? and you being out on your own and how did that translate into your performance on the ice yeah it was it was great we were um there was three of us young 15 year olds on the team and uh we were thrown into the deep end so uh it was great i I had a billet family that took care of me and um kind of showed me the way and and uh like i said my parents came and visited quite a bit we weren't a very good team on the ice but you got to hang a ride in the bus and uh road trips and um, it was a perfect year, like I said, to get me ready for junior hockey and, and what was to come. And it was a much better level than Midget AAA, but by no means was it junior hockey yet either in the Western Hockey League. So um, it was a great year. It was it was a perfect path, and I'm, I'm very lucky for that opportunity. Following that one year at Crow's Nest passed, then there's the next step for you, which is the WHL. Uh, there's also a draft as well, which you were a part of, but you weren't drafted eventually is that correct correct yeah so uh, the whl draft happened at age 14 so the year before i went to crow's nest uh, and i was eligible for the draft but uh i was a shorter guy at the time i still had hit my growth spurt um the western hockey league's the only chl league that does it at 14 and not 15 and i was five six five seven and i just wasn't tall enough to be drafted and the western hockey league and the nhl was full of big big guys that uh that played a big style and Everybody, the NHL was different than what it is now. Now it's a small, skilled game, and, and the big guy back then survived. So they were drafting tall players, big guys, and hoping to turn them into hockey players rather than drafting hockey players and trying to build them to be stronger. So I hadn't hit my growth spurt at 14, long story short, and uh, they the draft passed me by, and it was devastating, but it taught me a lot. And so I was eventually listed by the actually Tri-City Americans uh, as a 15-year-old, and then my rights were traded from Tri-City to, to Cranbrook, and, and then I was uh, property of the Kootenai Ice after that. So uh, after my year in Crowsness Pass, I was able to move on to uh, Cranbrook and, and play for the Kootenai Ice. So you go to Kootenai. What was 
high school like for you at that time though? Cause that's right in the middle of it. What did it look like for you to complete your courses or attend school and all of that? Yeah, it was, it was a totally different experience than what I'm used to. I, I, I grew up in Calgary in big schools and, um, before I left for Cranwick, I was able to pick a high school here in Calgary uh, and I picked Bishop Carroll. So for, for the reason being, I knew I'd, I'd be a transition. I'd be half the year there, half the year back. But my year in Cranbrook was, um, it was a small town high school. It was the only high school in town, Mount Baker. And um, we were the hockey players in town. So that, that was a whole different part of, of, uh, of going to play for the Kootenai Aces. You, you get to put the jersey on and play there. And then you had to blend in and be friends with everybody uh, at school and make sure you kept the peace there. So um, I really enjoyed it. I, I made a lot of friends in, in Cranbrook that were my age and went to school with. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but at the end of every hockey season, you'd have to transition back and spend the last couple months here in Calgary and uh, finish each year up here in Calgary. Did you get the starting job right away in Kootenai? I didn't. No, I did not. I spent the first uh, three quarters of the first year backing up Brian Bridges was his name, and he was the backup for uh, BJ Boxma when the year they won the Memorial Cup. So that was the year prior to me showing up. Uh, and Brian earned the right to, to be the starter due to seniority and being there a year prior to me. And um, I chipped away at it, chipped away at it. And, and I remember it being about February when uh, they finally turned the reins over to me and I, I kind of got the ball to run with. And uh, it was a great opportunity because we were actually able to go on a pretty good playoff run that year and uh, get to the second round. And looking back, it was it was great experience. I, I learned a lot. But it was really year three where you had a humongous year and the, the WHL and the CWHL awarded you for that goalie of the year for both the dub and the C. What was different in terms of maybe development for you that year? I think it's just confidence at that at that time. Um, it was two years of learning and, and trying to get your feet under you, and then it was time to either take the bull by the horns and, and make a career out of this or, or go the other direction. And I decided I wanted to do something with it, and I, I took hockey a little bit more serious, but um, I also realized I was one of the leaders on the team and I had some confidence. And uh, we had a really good team that year as well, which always helps as a goalie if you, if you have good players in front of you. And... Um, so it was it was a good start to the year and uh it was my world junior year and I knew that I wasn't on their radar in the summer because I didn't get to go to any of the team Canada summer camps and uh I again I I most most of my stories are with a chip on the shoulder kind of attitude because uh it was the rejection that made 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 it made me stronger in the long run and uh made me work for it but I um I ended up not making the summer or not getting invited to the summer camps and I knew that I'd have to have a really good start right out of the gate and uh, I did. I had a great start and I was ended up getting invited to the WHL Challenge or their their version of the All-Star Game and uh, Brent Sutter was the coach who was the coach for Team Canada and they used it a little bit as an evaluation and we'd played, he was the coach of Red Deer with a little bit of history here so he, we, Kootenai and Red Deer had quite, quite the, the rivalry and so he, he knew who I was and I knew that he knew who I was. So uh, I knew I didn't have to do too much impressing. He'd seen me play lots, and we'd had good games against them. So I uh, went out and did my thing, and uh, I kind of had an inside scoop that I might get get the inside track for the World Junior job. And I uh, got invited to camp, made that team, and, and, and won the starting job. Obviously, we won the gold medal, blah, blah, blah. And when you start to do those sorts of things, you start to realize that you, you might have a career at this. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and that really propelled me into... Uh, uh, the next the next level in the next couple of years. Was it in that moment or that experience that you really had a shot at the NHL or that's where you thought the dream was alive? Well, I was still a young kid at the time. I probably thought I could make the NHL there, but I didn't realize how much I had, how much learning I had left ahead of me. And 
Um, they were two totally different things. And, and me thinking I could make the NHL and actually being ready for the NHL, uh, as I've come to realize, is, is two totally separate things. So hmm. um, I, the guys I played with were probably uh, further along development-wise, meaning I played with the Sidney Crosbys, the Ryan Getzlaffs, the Patrice Bergerons, those guys at World Juniors were ready for the NHL. And playing with those guys, I knew I could be ready for the NHL one day, but um, I still had some developing to do as a goalie, and everybody develops different, especially goalies. So I I knew I could play in the NHL, but I don't think the World Juniors was... Um, the moment where I realized that um, I'm going to be forever in the NHL, I, I knew that I still had some work ahead of me. So you actually got drafted in 2004, your second year with Kootenai. Did you attend the draft at all? I did. Um, so I was, I was the fifth-ranked North American goalie. Uh, my agent suggest, suggested that I, uh, I head to North Carolina rally and uh, brought my family and everybody went down. It was an unbelievable experience. and It was, it was kind of a weird year for goalies. There was a bunch of us that were ranked pretty high, so... Um, I was projected to go between the first and fifth rounds, um, which is a pretty wide spectrum, and ended up going in the third round, which at that time was day one, and that was kind of my goal because they did the first three rounds on the first day, and I didn't want to have to come back for the second day. So uh, I was drafted near the end of the third round, which was a huge relief, and it was a long day, but uh, a lot of fun for me and my family, and uh, one of those experiences you'll never forget. Take me through that experience of the draft event. Did you guys stay at a hotel right across the street? Did you you know, have family dinners all together or did you have dinners with some of the people that you were going to get drafted with? Yeah, it was, that's actually a really fun, fun story to tell because, uh, it, it was different in rally in, in years past. I've been told it's always in a city where, uh, the arena is close to all the hotels and all the venues. And, um, I, all the players always fly out with their agents four or five days early. And we interview with a bunch of the teams and they do all their last minute prep work. And, uh, the, this draft was no different, but because rally was so spread out and there was really no home base, uh, teams were actually taking up the different campuses around town. So some teams stayed at Duke, some teams stayed at North Carolina or uh, UNC or w- whatever it was, North Carolina State. Uh, and then the draft was actually at the arena. So my agent rented a car and we we had to ma- kind of map out our day. And at 8 a.m. we were at this campus and then 9.30 we were at that campus and noon we were at this one. And uh, we went, bounced around and did all my interviews for the day, but he was kind of like my chauffeur. And my parents and my brother showed up uh, the day before the draft and I got to see them and do that. And once I was drafted, Ottawa kind of had a little bit of a draft party or a little bit of a host uh, event. So I got to know some of the management and personnel with Ottawa. And uh, my parents and family were obviously allowed to attend that because everything was so spread out and and you had to do so much driving it it, I felt like I spent most of my time in a car during that draft trying to get around and meet everybody and uh, it was really a relief when it was all done and you got to stay in one spot a big theme for the NBA and the NFL drafts is fashion how much thought did you put into your suit (laughs) I put a little bit of thought in but I'm a sweater uh, and so this was my thought process it was a lighter suit because I knew I could sweat and it wouldn't show uh, quite as bad as maybe a dark suit. So uh, I was I knew I was going to be nervous. I knew I was going to be sweating a lot, but uh, by no means, uh, looking back now, it's a pretty bad suit. So I, I'm, a, I'm not a fashion guy. <laughs> so bouncing back to the World Juniors, that happened in 2005, and that was probably one of the most stacked teams that Canada has ever sent to a World Junior. Let me read you this list. Mm-hmm. Brent Seabrook, Dion Phaneuf, Shea Weber, Jeff Carter, Sidney Crosby, Ryan Getzlaff, Clark MacArthur, Mike Richards, Andrew Ladd, Corey Perry, 
Braden Coburn, Patrice Bergeron, like you had talked about before. Obviously, you guys were gold medal favorites. And you talked about it's easy to have a good team in front of you uh, and, and play well. Was that the case there? Yeah, it, you knew it was going to be a special team. Um, just by the, the way the guys practiced, the way the guys carried themselves. They were special guys that were, it was a special environment. And it was, it was really cool. We hadn't won a gold medal uh, speaking for Canada, we had won a gold medal, and I think it was a five-year drought. So um, there was a lot of expectations, and this was the year, and uh, the lockout helped us a lot. So that year, the That's NHL right. was locked out, and, right. and most of these guys would have been playing in the NHL, and they were all back in junior. And uh, So we had a stacked team, but, you know, Russia was good as well. They had Malkin and Ovechkin, and, uh, and they were good, but we, we knew we were better than everybody. So I always laugh with people, but the hardest part was actually probably making the team. Cause once we were on the, once I was on the team, the games actually got a lot easier, but it was the inner squad games playing against my own teammates. That was probably the hardest part. And, uh, once I made team Canada, then I knew that, uh, you know, we had a good team. And as long as I did my part, we'd have a good chance of winning gold medal. Cause you had talked about how much of, well, that you had a chance at making it after playing in that game for Brent Sutter. Take me through that tryout for making that team and how much of a struggle potentially it was to try to win that spot. Well, it, it really was. It was it was not easy, that's for sure. And um, I it, it started, like I said, I wasn't invited in the to the summer camp, so I knew there was four goalies ahead of me at least, maybe more. Um, and then by getting invited to the WHL All-Star game or whatever you want to call it. I knew that I was on their radar. So I played well there and had a good start. And now I had to be one of four guys invited to camp, and I was. And so when I got to camp, I think I was probably obviously the underdog of the four to make the team based on the fact that I didn't do the summer camps. I've kind of been off the radar. Uh, had a great camp. I felt really good in the net. I, I got a shutout in both my games that I played there. And then I was named to the team. And when I was named to the team, it was me and Rajan Boshiman, and uh, one of the best guys to, to be a goalie partner with because he, he was supportive and uh, he wanted to play, obviously, as well, but we both knew that um, whoever they picked, we'd support each other, and uh, Brent picked me, and I kind of got the ball to roll with, and it was a great experience, but it, it all kind of, I worked for it, and it all kind of fell into place, but it wasn't by any means easy, and looking back, it was, it was quite the accomplishment. So from that list, obviously we knew the Sidney Crosby's, the Ryan Getzlaff's, probably some of the best players on that team, but in your mind, now looking at their career in the NHL, who do you think has developed the most in their game from that team? Hmm, good question. I, um, at the time, I, uh, people always think that Sidney Crosby was the best player on that team, but he was actually 16. It was Pat- Patrice Bergeron was by far the best player on that team, and he played the prior season in the NHL as an 18-year-old, uh, and he was playing that year in Providence uh, because he was allowed to get assigned to the AHL. So at the time, Patrice Bergeron was hands down our best player, but um looking at that team now and 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 from where we came like Corey Perry was considered our 13th forward so he didn't even crack our top 12 so if you want to you know go and say from a guy development wise he 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 really jumped onto people's radars real fast and made an impact in the NHL immediately but uh, at that time he was still maybe finding his way or wasn't viewed as the guy yet and uh, it took an injury for him to get into the lineup and then another injury for him to get on the top line but by the end of the tournament he was playing with Sidney Crosby and Patrice Bergeron so um, but it's it's that story of you know a guy like that who you know had trouble even making the team that's insane. It's, it really is. It's pretty crazy. Was he even that physical at that young of an age, or was he a completely different player? 
Uh, he, he wasn't, no. And I think he, that part of his game's really developed and he's really realized what it takes to play in the NHL and uh, with men because he was a scorer, but he was, he was, uh, he was a lot skinnier than he is now. And uh, I don't think he could play the physical game in front of the net or along the boards. And um, he's really improved in that, that sense for sure. But uh, he was a natural scorer and he was naturally gifted. And I think the hard work he's put into his game is really taking him to the next level. How about in terms of D-men? Because those were the guys you probably interacted with the most and communicated with the most as well. So in front of you, who maybe has developed the most on the blue line? Well, at the time, the the, the big dogs, they all, all I should say the big dogs, they were all top, top, top end players. But um, the Fanoofs, the Colburns, the Weber, um, and I'm, I'm leaving guys out. But even at the time... Uh, those guys you knew were going to be good. But I like going back to Shea Weber. He was my favorite player on that team to play behind. And I think that um, he had the brightest future and still does. I, I, I still think that uh, he has one of the hardest shots I've ever faced, one of the heaviest shots. And um, he was physically quick. He was he was fast. He was intimidating. He was everything you wanted in a defenseman. He was he was the most all-round, well, well-rounded well defenseman. And he was good at that time. And I think he's con- continued to develop and get better. And he, he'd probably be my favorite pick on that team. From a development standpoint for yourself, was it actually a beneficial experience for you to play on such a good team? Or do you think you would have maybe learned more if your team had to go through a little bit more adversity? Because you guys only gave up five goals in the tournament as opposed to 32 goals for yeah, I I think I learned a lot. That's a very good point. I learned a lot from losing at an earlier age. Um, I played on a a Bantam AAA team where we only won one game all season, and I wasn't in the net for it. And um, I I think losing teaches you a lot. Uh, at that level, I was very lucky to win because I think winning also propels you to the next level. Everybody wants winners, so that's right. On that stage, I think it was very important that um, I'd been groomed to win at that already, if that's the right way of putting it. But um, it was it was a very good spot to win. Uh, it was a very good spot to prove that you can win and show that you can win. Uh, but there is something to losing. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to learn how to lose on that at that stage. But um, I, I think I, I had lo- lost a lot of games earlier in my career, which uh, really showed me an appreciation for winning. How pissed were you that Merrick Schwartz got the goaltender award for the tournament? Well, I, I think he <laughs> earned it. Yeah. No. It, it, this is funny. He it's, well. it's it's I, he did play well. It, it's hard to give a goalie who. Um, I think we played them in the uh, the semifinals and only had 11 That's shots right. on goal. So it's hard to give a guy who has 11 shots on goal a goalie of the tournament. And um, he played well. By no means was I mad at that at all. But um, it was uh, it was pretty cool looking back, even just at at stats and numbers. And um, I think I think Russia did get to 20 something shots in that game. That was the most shots I had in a game. But um, there was no 30 shots or 40 shots or 50 shots that Merrick Schwartz was was getting. Last question around that because I find that really fascinating that you you were able to face these guys at the birth of their careers really, mm. but for you facing Ovechkin facing Malkin, how have those two guys developed their games from when you had a chance to face them at such a young age? Yeah, well they're they're both good players at that age, but they're they weren't uh, the impact players that they are now, and um, I think it's been pretty well documented that in the gold medal game we had. Uh, our full attention on Alexander Ovechkin and realized that whenever he has the puck, we had to be on him and be physical on him. And 
Um, I think we broke him down a little bit and he ended up separating his shoulder and not being able to finish the game. And I think an Ovechkin now is a physical specimen and he's a bull out there. And I don't think you could separate his shoulder if you wanted to or, or maybe break him down the way we were able to because uh, when he is able to do what he wants to do, he can do anything on the ice and uh, it's pretty impressive. So I, I think uh, I think physically he's matured and mentally he's matured and uh, now he's uh, he's almost untouchable on the ice. Was he still pounding out 35 shots a game? I, I think he was trying. He was trying. He had the uh, the tinted visor going for that tournament, and I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, this uh, this guy's pretty cool, pretty special." So coming out of that World Juniors in 2005, you're coming off that high of winning the gold medal, but now you find yourself heading to the ECHL. Was that where you had initially envisioned yourself being coming out of that world, that strong World Juniors? Absolutely not, and. Um, it was it was a really tough pill for me to swallow because I think I even started to listen to the noise and started to think that I was better than what I was and um, exactly like you said I had an outstanding year uh, as a whole I won everything you could win in junior uh, gold medal goalie of the year CHL goalie of the year all these things and the media kept saying well he's going to make Ottawa out of camp so I thought well that's probably where I'll end up but if I don't plan B will be in Binghamton in the American League and sure enough I was sent from Ottawa to Binghamton right out of training camp and thought that's where I'd be and before you know it I was sent from Binghamton to Charlotte and I couldn't believe what just happened and uh, all of a sudden I went from this great junior career to the East Coast Hockey League which I thought I was above and that was a real mental block I had and it was a real problem and looking back my half a year or three quarters of a year I spent in Charlotte was so good for my development and it taught me so much about it and um, the, the East Coast is a, is a tough hockey league and, and there are men there that are playing for jobs and trying to put food on the table and um, I took that all for granted so when I got to the East Coast I had to screw my head back on properly and realize that this was a tough level and if I ever did want to play in the American League not to mention the NHL I'd have to play well at this level and uh, and I really did take that approach and, and, and it turned out to be a great year. I ended up making the all-star team in, in Charlotte, but it, not, not without a few uh, bumps along the road and uh, maybe having a little bit of a fixed mindset instead of wanting to grow and, and get better. When did that switch happen for you in Charlotte though? Because I'm guessing that when you first got there, there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. But at some point, like you said, you had to screw your head on straight. When did that switch happen for you? Well, it was actually pretty interesting. I think it was, is this going to sound funny, but it was, it was probably three weeks of pouting in training camp and exhibition season because uh, at that point now I'd spent eight weeks of training camp. It was almost two months because I had to go to a rookie development camp in Ottawa, then main camp in Ottawa, then Binghamton's full camp, now Charlotte's full camp. And um, I was sick and tired of doing camps, but I spent two weeks there playing exhibition games. And then I remember my first game in the East Coast, it finally felt like it was playing for real. So that was probably the time, and I know that's not a very long time to think about it, but it was probably two full weeks of me uh, being mad at everybody before I realized it's time to knuckle down and play some real hockey. And then finally you get your break to go back to Binghamton. What was that experience like for you? Oh, it was great, and, and, and I really did appreciate the American League and how hard it is to get to the American League. And um, I was called up twice that year, and uh, both times it was tough and, and I had real learning experiences. and. Um, I remember my first game I got called up was against the Albany Devils and Alexander Mogilny got sent down and uh, he was playing for them that night and I remember thinking to myself, wow, I got a long ways to go because uh, that's just one NHL player and if I ever want to play in the NHL, it's going to be a full team of them. So um, it, it really gave me perspective and, and I learned a lot. But the whole time down there in Binghamton, you were battling Brian Elliott for that starting job. Yeah. But that's, so a, that's a different goalie battle because he is NHL ready as well. 
Absolutely. And, and he had uh, a very similar career in the college ranks that I had in the junior ranks. So he won the national championship with Wisconsin. Uh, and he was coming off a great year as well. So uh, my first, the, the next season, my second year, my first full year in Binghamton was his first year as well. Uh, and we split the year, we split the year, played hard against each other. We battled against each other, but I think we both appreciated each other's uh, work ethic and, and battling for the spot. And uh, it was in the third year uh, that he actually was able to get the call up and, and go up. And uh, he proved that he could play at that level and, and, and he never really looked back. So you play four years at Binghamton. You're in that Ottawa Senators minor league system. Then after that fourth season, what are you starting to think in terms of what your career could potentially look like? What were you hearing for maybe getting called up to the to the NHL versus exploring other options elsewhere? Yeah, that that's where my career kind of got interesting. Kind of took a um, a left that I wasn't expecting. But uh, I played four full years in Binghamton and. Uh, I, kind of established myself as an American Hockey League goalie or a starting goalie. Uh, and Ottawa decided not to qualify me that that summer, uh, which made me a free agent. And uh, I started looking around, and, and to be honest, I, I wasn't receiving the offers I felt I was worth uh, in North America or in the American League or with NHL other NHL teams. Um, so I started looking around, and I started looking overseas, and uh, an opportunity presented itself to go to the KHL. And at that time, it was only two years old. It was the second year uh, of the KHL, and it was presented to me as a one-year deal. And, and I thought to myself, at that time, I was—I think I was about 24 years old. Um, if I go over to the KHL for one year, have a great year, I could kind of reset my career. I could learn a lot, uh, and then I can come right back and, and jump back into the American League or the NHL and, and do it that way. So... Um, I decided to sign a one-year deal with an option uh, for another year with Astana uh, that was based out of Kazakhstan, and on the airplane I went. Could you mentally wrap your head around playing and living in a completely different continent? Since you had been playing in North America and you were kind of used to that lifestyle and that culture, was that ever a fear for you, or were you excited to just dive right into that? Yeah, I, I think I was excited to get over there and dive right in. But it, there was definitely some culture shock when I got over there. There's no doubt about that. And um, I'll never forget, I had to book a flight to get to Riga, Latvia, which I didn't know where that was, and uh, get a Russian visa and a, and a Kazakh visa so then I could go join the team uh, in a preseason tournament over there. And, you know, once looking back now, I, I it was, again, it was thrown into the deep end. But there's, there's no other way really to do it. And uh, I had a great group of import players on that first team in Kazakhstan that really kind of took me under their wing and showed me what it what what it's going to take to play in this league, and uh, it was a great experience. Did you have any snags in your application process and the transition over there? Uh, getting there was actually fairly smooth the first year, which is which is looking back very thankful because I think every other year after that there was a few snags, but um, my, my application actually went very smooth. So I did get to Riga and had a guy there specifically waiting for me to. Uh, help kind of speed up the process and get get me moving along. And uh, if anybody that's ever traveled to Russia or Kazakhstan specifically, they know how difficult it is to get visas into those countries. And um, so th- that took a couple days. And I was jet lagged, so I actually skated with the team in Riga for a couple days. And uh, then I joined the team in in Magnitogorsk in Russia, and we played a preseason tournament, and then back to Kazakhstan. So you're talking about at 15 years old playing in Crow's Nest Pass, you were with a billeted family. What was the living condition like over in Kazakhstan in terms of, or living scenario rather? Sure. It was uh, it was interesting over there. It was great, to be honest. Uh, Kazakhstan, 
uh, people think of maybe Borat or uh, That's right. this this third world country, but uh, Astana is actually one of the more thriving cities over there. It's, they call it small Dubai. So the city we lived in, Astana, the portion of the city had all been built within the last 10 years. So it was a, uh, a big tall sky rise that we all lived in and uh, I had an apartment there and all the imports lived in the same building. So uh, they set me up with an apartment right when I got there. Uh, my first day, one of the guys had a car. So I, I met him in the in the garage. We went to the rink. And uh, after that, it felt fairly normal. So um, I was very lucky with my living conditions in, in Astana because the city was so nice and new. And uh, it, was, it was very normal or very much what I'm used to over here. So during your time in the KHL, you played for six teams. And in that span as well, you get married. That's pretty exciting. So when did that all go down? It was all it was all kind of a blur after the first three years. So it it uh, it went fast and it was a great experience. But I, I spent the first three years in Astana, Kazakhstan, uh, playing for the same same team. And, and after my third off season, uh, I actually got engaged to my wife Ali, and uh, I also got bought out that summer. So I was assuming I was going back for a fourth season, uh, and I was very comfortable there. But I actually had to jump on with a team called Novosibirsk that was located in the middle of Siberia. Uh, so I jumped on with them, uh, for a year and had actually my best year in the KHL with them and, uh, had a lot of fun playing with a bunch of guys in the middle of Siberia. But, uh, from after that summer was the next summer, uh, Ali and I got engaged, uh, back here at Lake Louise. Uh, and then from there again, I went back to Moscow and played for Moscow Spartak the next year. Um, I actually split that season between Spartak and CSKA Moscow Red Army, um, due to a team folding on me, but uh, I spent I played on two two of the three Moscow teams that year, uh, onto a team in Lada Toliadi, and then from there I finished in Minsk, Belarus. Did Ali leave to go to Russia with you right at that time, or did she have some stuff to take care of back here and and join you later? Yeah, so so the first year I spent over in Astana, I was by myself, and she came and visited me a couple times, but uh, we did the long distance thing there, and then from years two moving forward, she came over with me every year and. Uh, it was great. We we're uh, we're quite the team over there, and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it taught taught me a lot about myself, and a lot a lot about uh, how much growing up I had to do over there. And she definitely helped transition me on the ice and off the ice into the person I am today. And uh, I owe a lot of where I am today to her, obviously because of uh, how much help I've had along the way. And um, those years overseas, I don't know if they would have been possible if I was by myself. It's it's tough to do when you're in Moscow or when you're in. Novosibirsk and there's no one speaking English and um, we really took it on as us against the world and and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Can you compare and contrast single bachelor Jeff versus now married and having to consider another person and their schedule the whole living condition with a roommate a permanent roommate now? Yeah and, and that's the best way to put it was uh, when I was single, I, I think I priorit I think I prioritized different things, and um, I think I thought I worked hard, but I don't know how hard I actually worked. And and, and she showed me a lot about what I would take, uh, discipline wise, away from the rink. And I'd come home, and she's a great cook, so she'd cook the right way for me. And I learned a lot about a diet. And I'd go to the gym, and I used to think I worked hard, and then I learned from her that you know, there's even you could work harder. And, um, you know, there was time to rest and there was time to grow up and do other things in life that um, I don't think I was aware of as a kid or as a single guy. And she showed me a lot of those things. So as a, I think as a team, we kind of grew together and um, and I learned a lot about myself. And like I said, I kind of curtailed my habits and my uh, my rituals and all those things to make me a better player on the ice. 
What did those conversations look like between the two of you when you had to bounce from one team to the next and when you kept moving cities? Yeah, some of them are more fun than others, but um, it was. I, I think she kind of started to get the hang of it. It was the phone would ring from the agent, and uh, I well, you know what? I got an offer, and it's from Team A, B, or C, and uh, what do you think? And she was always yes. So the answer was always yes, and let's do this, and let's go, let's let's have some fun with it, and uh, that's the support that you need. Otherwise, I never would have got over there. But um, she always welcomed the, the new experiences and the new cities, and. Um, so we always took it, packed up the stuff and, uh, we have a large dog. His name is Moose. He's a Bernice mountain dog. He came with us as well for most of those years over there. And, um, we just had our little family over there and life was good. But I'm assuming that it was important, if not imperative to have that conversation before you guys got married, Jeff saying, Hey, Ali, this is what my life is going to look like. It's pretty crazy. Are you on board with that? That's exactly the conversation we had, and it was tough for her because um, when I met her, she was working, uh, working obviously her job and had her own life and uh, uh, was living a normal life in Canada like most people are. And um, in order for our relationship to work, it meant her quitting her job and packing up and moving overseas with me. And uh, it was a conversation we had, and uh, it really did require a, a big commitment from her as well. And I think people sometimes forget that is uh, it wasn't easy for her to just pack up and leave her stuff as well but she was on board with it and it ended up uh, working out great and shout out to Allie absolutely because you you see a lot of the NHL wives and they're just living that Hollywood life but there's a fair amount of other hockey wives out there too where their husbands are just trying to put food on the table like you were talking about before slugging along in in the minor leagues yeah a huge shout out to Allie I think it's 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 great what uh what she's done and what we've been able to do but uh you're spot on i i think everybody sometimes glamorizes the nhl and hockey in general and uh by no means do i have it hard i'm not trying to ever paint that picture but uh there is different levels of hockey and there's different levels of uh of making a living and i think that um she's well aware of that we we did very well over in russia and we had a chance to make some money and, and have some fun over there and learn some experiences but um there was a few sacrifices along the way and and that shouldn't be forgotten can you talk about the differences in maybe how the khl was run versus the nhl and uh the differences in both those leagues sure yeah i i think the khl is a very good league but it's a new league and anytime there's a new league you have to work a few kinks out and my favorite part of being in russia was always the hockey on the ice because i thought the product was actually fantastic and it was a lot of fun to play but it's by no means the nhl and and i learned that this past couple years being able to come back here was the nhl uh, is the best league in the world and there's a reason why it's the best league in the world because it's it's ironed out all the kinks and it's had a, uh, it's been around for a hundred years and everybody knows that it's the best league for a reason and so um, it, it's tough to compare the two I think the KHL is growing it's getting better each and every year I was over there everything got better and better and better uh, on the ice and off the ice and I think it will continue to do that so uh, I, I think it's very tough to compare the two I, but I, I will say that the KHL is improving and, and it's forming its own entity over there uh, and, and it's really developing its own thing and I think it's pretty cool. Well and I ask that because I, I wonder why people like Kovalchuk and Datsuk are lured to just play over there instead of finishing out their career in the NHL but I mean Kovalchuk obviously is now uh, coming back but why, why is there an appeal to just have a gap in your NHL career and say, hey, let's try out the KHL? I, I think for those guys specifically, I, th- I think there was a lot of pressure on them to go back from their country. They're very patriotic, mm-hmm. and I think it meant a lot to them to play for Russia and, and show their family and friends 
what they can do. Um, I also think financially it was it was a very lucrative option for them to go back, and uh, you, you you can't forget that either. As those guys got a great chance to make a bunch of money in their home country uh, and play on a on a big stage in front of their friends and family. And um, I I don't ever say I don't ever question it. I don't ever wonder why they do it if if someone was ever to pay me the amount of money they're getting paid to come play for the calgary flames I, I i jump on it in a heartbeat and i think that's the way you have to look at it so those guys do it for a reason and i i think they're they're brought up very patriotic and uh, i respect why they did it so for you personally you spent seven years but in that span did you ever consider coming back to play in the ahl again or having those options open for you in north america or was there a reason why you stayed seven straight years playing in Russia? Yeah, I, I always thought I was going to come back. My intention when I went over there was to come back, and it never was supposed to be a permanent thing, but I did continue to enjoy it, and my situation got better and better each year, and um, that's when I realized that it was a lot easier to play over there year four, five, and six than it years, was years one and two, only because I was starting to become acclimat- acclimatized with the, the country, with the hockey, with the style of play. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I always did want to come back. And I think that uh, that year after Minsk, I realized that that was the perfect time to come back and to kind of make that transition back. And if I wasn't going to make that transition back, I had to be comfortable with the fact that um, I was probably going to be too old to ever do that and, and have to be comfortable moving on. So at that point, I realized that now was the time and it, it was going to mean starting from the bottom and, and reestablishing myself and my name here in North America. But um, I was willing to do that. That was like the fork in the road moment for you there. It really was. It really was. It was um, time to look in the mirror and see what you wanted to do. And uh, I had an offer to go back to Russia again that year. And I, I decided to decline it and, and uh, wait for an opportunity here. And it didn't come quick. I, I had to wait out for a PTO with the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, realized that even, even as well as I did there, it was, it was starting from the bottom again. And there wasn't a lot of space in that organization. And uh, it, it was going to be in a lot of work and, and really starting from the bottom. Did you have a different mindset going into that Maple Leafs PTO versus when you went to Charlotte? Because both times you were kind of starting bottom of the barrel, but different circumstances this time. Maybe your expectations were different knowing that you had to start from the bottom again. Absolutely. Two two totally different people. I think the guy that I went to camp. And that looked, too. Yeah, a different person. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The, the, the guy I was in Ottawa, the goalie I was in Ottawa my first year in camp to the guy or the goalie I was in Toronto two totally different people and goalies and I think when I got to Toronto I realized that I could play at this level and I think that was the confidence I had and now it was going to mean me working hard and getting some breaks and uh, chipping away at it but I I knew I could play at this level where so when I was uh when I was in Ottawa I, I wanted to play at that level but I don't know if I actually could yet or if I was ready to but all those years playing in Russia and even the years in the American League playing in Binghamton prepared me to get ready for the Toronto camp and, and go out and play well there and, and, and start the journey back. How was that Maple Leafs training camp for you? Did you feel you were much improved after your time in the KHL? Yeah, I thought I was, but I realized that no matter how good I felt about myself, I still had to establish my name again. So um, I that was brand raised, thing you were talking about. It was. It was. It was, it was a little bit of a brand thing of... Uh, coming back and when I left uh, the American League I think it was more about the team and more about playing and waiting for your chance within an organization but when I came back I realized that the players are much more self-sufficient and they're they're developing their own style their own brand and 
they're almost individual contractors in a team environment. And um, I realized that I had to start developing my own brand and developing myself as a player on and off the ice and proving that I could play at the NHL. And um, that doesn't mean going on Instagram or going on Twitter and doing it that way. I just think it means proving that you could play on this team or any other team that needs a goalie. Uh, that wants a 30-year-old goalie, and, and you have to prove why you bring uh, what you do to the game and to the rink and uh, prove that you're an asset to this team. Uh, and if you are, then they can get rid of you or move you on to another team if they have that hole filled. So um, I really started to realize that I was uh, an asset in, in a big group, and uh, it was going to require some work to get to the next level. What happens after that tryout with the Maple Leafs? Well, then, then it really realized that it, you know, I got sent down to the Marlies and uh, they said they had a spot there for me, but they were going to have to make some space. And um, so I stuck around with the Marlies and, and practiced with them, but I didn't get a lot of games. I only ended up playing two games for the Marlies up until Christmas time. And it wasn't until after Christmas where I realized that I wasn't playing yet and I was working hard, but I, I needed to play games. And so the, the Toronto Marlies were nice enough to actually let me go out of my PTO uh, and moved me on to the Rockford Ice Hogs, where I was able to join um, Chicago's affiliate. And uh, they were the last place team in the American Hockey League, but they were looking for some goaltending help and promised me a couple games if I was coming their way. And so I, I looked at it as a great opportunity. I'd been working hard, and uh, I can go join a team that wanted me, and, and, and away I went. What's the culture like for a team that's last place in the AHL there? Yeah, it was very tough entering that dressing room. I remember my first practice, there was a fight <laughs> in practice, and uh, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't a good environment, but that's what they were looking for was someone to come in and kind of change it up and change up the attitude. And I realized I was an older guy that uh, could help kind of change the mood, and um, I was able to actually get a shutout and a win in my first game. And uh, I think it was it was pretty cool coming in there and being able to kind of maybe show the guys that they weren't as far off as they were and, uh, I'm by no means making myself out to be the savior, but it was uh, it was a it was a nice change of pace for those guys to see a fresh face and uh, maybe a reset for a little bit. But I think it's still important that we touch on you had a significant role to play because you were maybe an older guy and well established on that team. What did it look like to be a leader on that team? Was that the expectation on you? I didn't think I had that expectation going into it, but after I got there, I realized that that was definitely the expectations for me was to prove that I'm a leader and prove that I can play on the ice and guide the guy, young guys off the ice and be a role model and influence everybody in the right direction. And when I went to Rockford, it was it was on a, a one-year American Hockey League deal, and they had nothing to lose by bringing me in, and I had to really prove myself. And um, that's when, I, I, again, another fork in the road where it's which way do you want to take this? Do you want to get to the NHL or do you want to just be content with where you're at? And I wanted to get to that next level. So I, I did everything in my power to welcome that role as a leader and try to influence the guys the right way. What did off-ice leadership look like for you for that team? I think it was a matter of, of trying to prove to every guy that we're still a professional hockey league. And even yeah. though we were out of the playoffs, you had to play, you were playing for a lot and it was a privilege to play at that level. And uh, you had to make guys realize that coming to, coming to work every day was a privilege and a lot of people would give anything to be in our position and uh, never take it for granted because at any moment it was it could be taken away from you. And I think that was the message that I tried to send. Have fun with what you're doing, but appreciate it and come to the rink and work hard and, you know, maybe things will work out for us. And, and, and like I said earlier, if it's not on this team, it might be with another team. Through that opportunity, you had the chance to sign a two-way contract with the Chicago Blackhawks. What was that experience like for you there? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting because um, I signed uh, the one-year American Hockey League contract to finish that year with Rockford, and Chicago offered me a two-year deal, and I knew that they were in a playoff hunt, and I might get a chance to come up and be the third goalie. 
and, and then again we'd know where we were for the next year and the reason one of the reasons I did come back to North America is my wife and I were looking to have a baby and we wanted to have a baby that was born in North America and we knew that the baby would be coming next year so if I did sign with Chicago it would give us a little stability and uh, it wasn't an easy decision because I, I still wanted to test the market, maybe see what I could do as a free agent, maybe go back to Russia. Um, I had a lot of goals, but I, when Chicago offered me a two-way deal, I realized that uh, this is exactly what I wanted and exactly what I've been working hard for. And um, So I signed the two-year deal, and uh, it ended up working out great. I was able to get called up uh, not, not that much longer uh, when Scott Darling broke his hand. Uh, and I sat on the bench for seven or eight games, and then I was called up again at the end of the season to be the third goalie for the playoffs. And uh, it was really cool to get into that, that Chicago room and uh, kind of start to establish myself in that room. What was that first call-up like for you, the emotions you were feeling that you were playing in the United Center? Yeah, it, it was it was unreal. I, I'll never forget that as well. It was I know I'll, I'll, exactly where I was. I was heading home from the rink because the uh, Rockford Ice Hogs played a game that night. Uh, and I, I took morning skate, and I was heading home to uh, have my pregame meal and take a nap. And I was driving home, and the GM told me to stop the car, turn around, come back and get my gear. I was getting called up. So I uh, turned around, whipped back to the rink, grabbed my gear. Then I did go back home, uh, obviously told Allie, called everybody I knew, I think, and let them all know. But I had to pack a bag and uh, drive to Chicago, which with no traffic is probably an hour, an hour and a half. But I knew I'd be facing rush hour traffic, so it was kind of a race to get there. And... Uh, pretty good funny story. I, I thought the game was a seven o'clock start, so I tried to get there. Most normal hockey players would get there two to two and a half hours before, and I like getting there early. So I got there at uh, a three hours before a seven o'clock start, only to realize that it was actually a seven thirty start. So I was there a full three and a half hours early, and I think the guys might have thought I was uh, a little bit crazy, but uh, I was excited to be there. Maybe the United Center wasn't even open at that point. I, I think the security <laughs> had to let me in, and I started to wonder if well, where everybody else was. Was I it knew, tonight? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew I got called up, but I don't think anybody else knew I got called up at that time. So your second call-up comes April of 2017. Yep. But probably the biggest surprise of that year was in October when your baby Lucy was born. So Lucy comes at the end of October, and... That's already right at the start of your following season. At that point, were you back with Rockford? So I made it back to Rockford now. Um, so I got called up to finish the year, the year prior with Chicago. Uh, we got swept four straight by Nashville. I came to training camp next year, uh, hoping to get a good chance with Chicago. And I realized there was a lot of goalies in front of me, and I got sent to Rockford pretty quickly. But uh, went down to Rockford again and realized I wanted to work hard and chip away at it and get back to Chicago. So uh, in the process of this all going on, like you said, it was uh, little Lucy's on the way. And my wife was induced to go in on the 25th, the day before. And uh, she came the 26th, which was exciting. And I only ended up missing a game on the road where the guys were on the road trip for one game. I stayed back and ha- had Lucy and sure gave you a lot of perspective. And uh, it was it was a pretty cool experience, obviously. And one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and that changed our lives forever. Well, and speaking of change, now you add a completely different part of your schedule to the mix with a newborn baby. And did you have any conversations with guys on the teams? Hey, I'm a new dad. I don't even know what I'm doing now. How do I manage 
playing and having boundaries and making priorities for family still? And did you have those conversations with guys on the team? Yeah, there was, there, it was tons of guys that you talked to along the way and uh, picked up notes. Even when I was a younger guy, I'd always watch how the older guys did it. And uh, it is a balance and it, it's, it's good for you though. I think uh, when you play hockey, sometimes it can take over your life and uh, you get engulfed in it and you realize that uh, when you have a kid, it, it changes your perspectives and your, your values a little bit. And you, you appreciate your time away from the rink a little bit more. And I think I learned how to uh, leave it at the rink a little bit. And uh, if it was a good day or a bad day, you could come home and, and she was there. And it really did help me along. And I think rather than try to um, just try to always push through and come home and do whatever, you knew that when you were done at the rink, it was time to come home and be a dad. And that, that was most important. Did Allie have some help, though, initially? Did family come down? Yeah, so her mom came down right after the birth so that um, yeah, we could have some help and I could go to the rink. And, and I don't know how she would have done it without her mom. So her mom came and stayed for a couple of weeks. Then my mom came down as well uh, and stayed. And we had some help. And, and that's huge because, um, like you said, we're kind of living on our own in, in Rockford there. And um, it, was, it was really welcome. So it's been a crazy year for you. A couple of call-ups in 2017. Lucy's born and family life is busy as well and then the end of the calendar year comes december 29th that was a big day for you maybe maybe not it was it was it was a big day that's for sure and uh it was it was a lot of fun holy man getting to get my first nhl start and uh, the whole story that went with it is is pretty cool. I was I was down with Rockford and went home for Christmas. It was one of the first times I've got to go home because playing in Russia, we never got enough time to actually fly back home for Christmas. So I flew home and both my brothers were back in town. Uh, everyone had a great Christmas dinner and I was I flew back to Chicago to join Rockford. And when I landed, my phone had completely blown up and I holy man, what's going on? And figured out that I was getting called up then. So. I just flew from Calgary to Chicago and the GM told me that the plane, the charter plane was flying back to Vancouver tomorrow morning and I had to get on it. So I went to Rockford, grabbed my gear, got on the plane, met the Chicago Blackhawks in Vancouver. We lost the next night uh, and then Coach Q came and told me, um, uh, told the goalie coach, Jimmy Waite, who told me at two in the morning on on the game day on the December 29th that I'd be playing that night against the Edmonton Oilers. So uh, I called my wife right away because I knew she'd be up feeding our little girl and uh, she let all of her family know the next morning and it was a mad scramble to get everybody from Calgary or Regina up to Edmonton to get to to get to watch me play my first NHL game. I can't believe you got that call at two in the morning. Yeah, we were uh, we flew from Vancouver to Edmonton after the game. We were playing back-to-back games and uh, we landed in Edmonton, took the bus to the hotel and uh, I was actually getting ready to get on the elevator to go up to my room and uh, the goalie coach pulled me aside and let me know that I'd be starting that night and asked me if I wanted a morning skate and I said, yes, I did. So tried to get a little bit of sleep and next thing you know it was morning skate and it all kind of flew by after that was there a happy dance in the elevator there was definitely a happy dance when i got to my room yeah and it was a lot of fun <laughs> i got to uh i got to live out my dream and that, that was the whole point of this whole journey was to get back and play a game in the nhl and i knew that i was going to be given a chance to do that the next night and we hadn't really told anybody uh from a media standpoint and i had to do an interview that afternoon because we were coming on to play calgary two nights later and people were starting to ask if I was going to get that start, not knowing that I was playing in Edmonton. So I actually did a few media uh, interviews that afternoon, and I didn't disclose the fact I was starting that night just to kind of keep it all hush-hush. And uh, it was a big surprise at 5 o'clock when Coach Q told the media, and uh, it was real exciting for me. What did it look like to round up tickets for all family members and friends that were going to attend that game that night? 
yeah, it was pretty cool. It's, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have this planned out. I knew exactly that this was going to happen and how this was going to work. I just didn't know what city. And it turned out to be Edmonton, which couldn't have worked out better being so close to Calgary. But uh, I called my one good buddy, Liam Plunkett, and I told him, I asked him to get a head count and send me a number and I'd leave it all under him and kind of left him in charge of friends. And, and then I did the same to my uh, my parents. I told them to round, get me a number and um, I left it under my dad's name, so it was kind of two groups, and uh, and I tried to keep it as simple as possible, and and get everybody a ticket so that everybody that wanted to come could come. But uh, if ever, I'll never forget. It was minus thirty eight degrees that day, so it was hard getting everybody from uh, from the different spots. I think my wife was in Regina visiting her parents at that point with Lucy, so she took a flight from Regina to Edmonton, and my brother picked her up at the airport on the way. Th- on the way through town and drove the two of them to the rink. So it was a lot of chaos, but I, I didn't have to worry about any of that. I get to hear all these stories after, and uh, my job was just to go play hockey. Well, and that's a great point because you probably know in the background all this chaos is going on. Was your phone blowing up at that time too, or did you do a good job of just making sure it was on do not disturb for the whole day? Yeah, no, I I didn't. Everybody did a pretty good job of leaving me alone during the day. And like I said, I didn't really let anybody know other than my good buddy who contacted a few friends. And everybody stayed out of my hair until after the game. And uh, that's when my phone really took off. And um, it was pretty exciting, all the, all the notifications and people reaching out to you that you haven't heard from. And if it was a text message or a Twitter notification or an Instagram or whatever it was, it was... It was all my friends and family that um, that you've you really did it for yourself, but you did it for these people as well. It was pretty cool to hear from them again, and they all had a story about they knowing I could get there, and it was only a matter of time, and uh, it was it was really cool. Did you prepare any different for that game? I tried not to. I'm sure I did, but um, I tried to prepare just like I did any other game, and. Um, right before the game, I, I had a chance. Uh, it was about five, I think it was a five minute call before we went out for warmups and Brent Seabrook looked around the room and said, Hey, you know, it's been a long time since Jeff played in the NHL. And he looked at me and he said, when was your last game in the NHL? I said, this, this is my first. And I think I could hear a pin drop after that. I don't think anybody realized on the team that was my first game in the NHL. They all assumed that I'd played at some point prior and I was just a new team, but and so then, uh, then the attitude changed. Guys were pretty fired up then, and I was pretty fired up. And uh, like I said, I tried to just go out there and stop the puck like I've always done. And uh, but it was there was definitely something a little different in the air that night. Well, and Brent was one of those guys on the 2005 World Junior teams. He was actually uh, my roommate, yeah, for the World Junior. So it was he just uh, he he apologized for it after not knowing, but he said I just assumed that somewhere along the way you'd made a start with Ottawa or someone and. Uh, it was I just, completely I, awkward. Uh, yeah, it was kind of funny, <laughs> but it was uh, it was a good moment that we had a good laugh at after. Do you remember much from the game at all, or was it kind of like your wedding day where it was all blur? No, I remember more from the uh, my first NHL start than I do from my wedding day. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. I've I've uh, I've had a chance to see a few highlights since. I haven't actually sat down and watched the whole game start to finish, but I do remember quite a bit. It was uh, it was pretty cool being able to you know Connor McDavid was my first shot on goal and. Uh, there was there was a few moments like that that I'll never forget. That's quite the intro to the NHL, hey? Having having the face of the NHL come flying down and taking a shot on you, and you're probably thinking, "Oh man, the speed is turned way up in this game." It's exactly what I was thinking. You nailed it. I was I, I couldn't believe how fast he was and, and how much fun it was to play against a guy that fast. And uh, but when you make that first save, you realize that you belong, and it's just hockey and get back at her. So kind of along those lines, after that first start and you having a few more games under your belt with Chicago there. What were some of the major differences that you noticed in the 
pace of the play and the style of play at the NHL level that maybe you had to mature to? You realize why it's the best league in the world in a hurry because um, these guys don't miss and and they don't miss in practice, but they definitely don't miss in the game when they give when they're given a chance and uh, it's for keeps, it's for reels, it's uh, it's all those things. So it was it was fun. I think the first couple of games uh, I got in, I really enjoyed it and and I realized I could play at that level. And then everybody always says that you know anybody can make the NHL. It's who can stay in the NHL. That's the hardest part is proving your consistency and proving that you can play in night in and night out. So that was my next step in my journey was trying to prove myself as a regular NHLer and proving that I could play at that level. And and that meant working hard in practice and that meant like you said, kind of adjusting to the speed of play. And um, I really feel like I did a good job of that. And uh, it was it was a tough environment just because we were, uh, we started to lose and, and losing is a little bit contagious. And for whatever reason, we started to spiral the wrong direction. And, and losing, I don't think is directly correlated to a goalies game. It can be, but um, I don't think either myself or Anton Forsberg uh, would tie ourselves to a bunch of those losses but it was what it was and uh, we had to be there and we, we our job was to stop the puck and win games and, and it wasn't getting done but it, that didn't mean that we weren't developing or getting better what were some of the biggest adjustments you had to make either on or off the ice at the NHL level I, I think the time commitment in the NHL levels is, is a lot oh, different the okay. travel was was a lot different I think you ride buses and and uh, most of the, the games in the American League are on weekends uh, where you'd play two or three games in a row, which is a do- totally different uh, bag of worms, if you want to call it that. It, it's, it's, it has its own problems. But um, in the NHL, you play every other day, and um, you're flying across the continent, and the travel's tough. The the media media stuff is tough. It, it's, a, it's a full-time gig uh, being around the rink. I think off the ice, that was the hardest part. On the ice, uh, the adjustments came pretty easily for me. I, I found that I got along with a lot of the guys. A lot of the guys were similar age to me, so I had a lot in common, and I was able to pick things up with them if it was communicating on the ice or if it was um, knowing where guys would play certain positions or or, or how our def- our team defended against the attack or whatever it was uh, those things seemed to come pretty quick for me and and I caught on pretty quick now that they knew it was your first game and first season in the NHL did you have to go through any rookie hazing oh I, I just missed rookie tournament or rookie party which um I, I was okay with I guess it would have been pretty cool <laughs> they the the Blackhawks did theirs in Vegas this year so uh, that would have been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm glad I didn't have to pay the bill that came with it. But um, no, I, I, you know what? They're pretty good about it. I, I didn't have to. The NHL is a, a pretty special league. I didn't have to carry bags or uh, do any of that kind of stuff. So uh, there wasn't too much rookie hazing this year, even though I was a full-fledged rookie. What were the team dinners like on the road? Uh, some of the coolest parts. Some of the coolest moments uh, I've ever been a part of were, were those team dinners. And uh, they didn't always go as the whole team. Sometimes it was half the scene the team sometimes it was just a couple guys but uh those were all the stories were and 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 that's the real bonding and those are the things that you'll cherish for a long time with some of those conversations you had at those dinners because uh uh, you know it was my first road trip I got to do a a couple team dinners in New York City and then you go to St. Louis and Vancouver Calgary wherever it was you'd always get together with the guys and 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 bond there and uh, I really enjoyed it. Who's the guy that would never pick up the tab? Oh, it might be me. You know what? That <laughs> might be the nice part about being a rookie is it was never expected that I picked up the tab. So I, I had guys, I could probably fall into that category where I was the guy that was able to tiptoe out backwards and uh, the bill seemed to always miss me every time. But I'm <laughs> I very, left my wallet thank- in the car. <laughs> exactly. I'm very thankful for that. Any other favorite moments from that season? You know what, I, I, I think just as a whole, um, it was pretty cool to play for an original six team in yeah. the city of Chicago. That team's won three Stanley Cups in the last 
seven or eight years and the boys have really taken to the town and the town's taken to the team and uh, they showed me all the ins and outs of Chicago and it's something I'll never forget it was it was a very cool year and uh, being a part of that team specifically was was outstanding what do you think Patrick Kane Jonathan Taves those guys do that they don't maybe necessarily get that much credit for those those were two of my favorite players in the team and um, starting with Patrick Kane, uh, he was he was easily one of the hardest workers, if not the hardest worker on the team. And I think that gets forgotten about him. I think everybody sees the showtime and natural skill and assuming he just shows up and it's there. But he was the last guy to get off the ice every practice. Didn't matter if it was morning skate or practice. He was out there shooting pucks. He'd stay out with me and do breakaways as long as I could stay out. Um, and he was pretty good with me because I think he could have kept me out longer. How dirty are those breakaway moves? And it was crazy. It was some of those. It was times I, I would get so frustrated because I couldn't keep up with him he was he was outstanding he was it was some of the most fun but he he's out there working so hard on his game and he'd go up to the shooting machine and practice his shot he'd go to the gym he'd work on his uh, on his fitness or whatever he needed to do to get better and he was constantly working on his game and um jonathan taze is one of the best leaders i've ever been around he's vocal with everybody he communicates with everybody mm-hmm. he made me feel at home He's an outstanding worker as well. He's very, very motivated and holds everybody accountable. That was one thing I thought was pretty cool was nobody got a free pass. It didn't matter if you were his friend or you'd been on the team for four years or five years, 10 years or one year. Everybody was expected to do their job and expected to perform. And those two guys, I I have a lot of respect for what they've done and where they've gotten. And it's no fluke. They've won three Stanley Cups. How about for your family life in that year? What were the adjustments like now that you had your wife at home and you also had the new baby did that look different for you now that you were in the nhl yeah a little bit it was um when i was in rockford uh we had a little condo in rockford and um life was a little bit more what we'd call normal um we had all of our stuff there and uh came and went and our car was there and when i got called up we lived in a hotel so um i spent three and a half months uh with my wife and a brand new baby in a hotel uh, downtown Chicago. So that was uh, a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, you know, we had to learn how to all get along because we were in a small space together, but it was, it was pretty cool. But looking back, it'll be exciting telling Lucy that her first, uh, from ages, from months two to let's call it five, she lived in a hotel and, uh, downtown Chicago, just off the magnificent mile. And, and, uh, and that was life. So, um, I don't think she went to bed before 11 on game nights because my wife would come to the games with her, but it was a pretty cool experience. Did you guys own a pair of those baby industrial earmuffs? Yeah, my wife put a pair on her once, and I think it was one of the one of the last games of the season. She wanted to bring Lucy down to the glass to in warmups to see if she'd recognize me on the ice. And uh, I remember looking over and seeing that they were down by the glass, so I went over to tap on the glass. And I'm obviously in full equipment with my mask and gear, <laughs> and uh, probably look like this, you know, the, the Terminator to say the least. And I went over, tapped on the glass, and within a second it was instant tears and waterworks and she was had uh, the lip going and everything so i felt so bad but uh it didn't go as planned but maybe when she gets a little older <laughs> so i finally wanted to transition a little bit into a, a little business talk if you will uh during your time in the khl you actually had an opportunity to start a company with some friends back home uh, called the sweat lab a lot of you guys know that in town tell me a little bit about how that got started yeah, it's a pretty cool story. We, um, When we were playing in the KHL, like you said, uh, 
my friend Matt Kinch and my wife's friend Rayanne Kinch approached us and uh, asked if we were interested in getting involved with a business endeavor that uh, didn't require 100% attention because they realized that I was still playing hockey and that Ali would be living with me, but um, something we could get into and maybe we could grow with and we weren't really sure what it was going to be right off the bat and we had a few different ideas, but it was what it was and we decided to kind of take it and run with it and so um, after many hours of going over this and that, we started the sweat lab and uh, it's obviously a spin yoga bar studio based on the west side of Calgary and uh, we've been up and running for just over five years now and it was something that uh, was real important to me and Allie because like I said earlier when she came overseas with me to Russia it meant her quitting her job and I always told her that it, I didn't want her to quit her job and have to put her life on hold for me so uh, with this opportunity coming up it gave her a chance to be able to do something away from home and she was able to keep tabs in the sweat lab and uh, do a bunch of the ordering and the scheduling and uh, some of the accounting and 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 everything you can do abroad and on any computer it doesn't matter if you had her in calgary or if you were in russia Uh, and so she had a good good grip on the company and i i was able to do my two bits here and there but by no means was i involved like she was or like matt and rianne were and um the, the company's grown it's been fantastic it's it's really taken off into something else and uh we were able to open our second location in north vancouver here this year and uh everything's been very exciting did you have your hands in that I did. Yeah, you know, I've had my hands in everything. I just try to sit back and, and leave it to the pros. And uh, Matt and Ryan, uh, the year they, they approached us, it was his last year of playing. And, and he wanted transition transition into something full-time. Uh, and, and this was what we hoped it would be. But um, they've taken this thing and, and they've created a monster. It's exciting. It's It's been awesome. And uh, they're two of the best business partners we could ask for. How much of a time commitment, though, was it for you when you were over in Russia? Like, did you have to schedule out blocks for Skype calls or phone calls or whatever it was? Yeah, we did all that. That, that was that was kind of fun. It was it was really cool to keep a perspective uh uh, or keep tabs on what was going on in Calgary, but it did mean a little bit of a time change. And if it was for Ali, it maybe meant staying up late one night or waking up early in the morning so she could be in touch with people here and make calls. And um, I like to be a part of it, but I always tried to stay out of it as well and, uh, and let that kind of be her thing. And uh, I think it was good for Matt and Rianne back here as well because um, they always leaned on us for an, a second opinion, an outsider opinion. And um, I think sometimes they felt like they got caught up in the day-to-day stuff and they wanted to hear... Uh, what our opinion was and they were very good about um, reaching out to us and keeping us involved and uh, so all along we've we've felt like we've had a pretty good finger on what's going on at the sweat lab and uh, it's grown into something we're really proud of so sometimes Allie would take a call at like three in the morning or something yeah so there was there was the <laughs> odd time and, and we got better with it um, the, the best year was I think Moscow's in almost 12 hours don't quote me on that but it was something like that so you could actually contact people in your morning was their night and your morning was their night so it was um that was a little bit better but um no some of the years were difficult you just made a point of either staying up late like i said or waking up early so what was matt and rianne's original vision for the sweat lab the sweat lab started because uh rianne has a dance background uh and she wanted to kind of live that part of her life and and uh as a hockey wife like we talked on talked about earlier it's it's a commitment it's a sacrifice and i think she followed matt around for quite a few years so their vision with this what they came to us with was that um they wanted to open a bar studio and uh this was going to require ran running the bar team and uh we weren't quite sure how this was going to evolve uh from there but it did and it evolved into a spin studio and and we were going to run hybrid classes and um 
and from there uh it's turned into what it is we had, we added yoga and circuit now and um it's it's kind of uh, a one-stop shop now for everything you need sweat wise and it, it really was pretty cool seeing a hockey another hockey couple uh, that we got along with really well. Uh, it's very fun to get into business with them now, and, and it's a different part of life that I've really enjoyed. And it, it's it's fun to work on something outside of hockey and see see some success in life and uh, something that doesn't require a hockey puck. So guys, go check out the Sweat Lab down in Aspen in the Southwest. And Jeff, thank you so much for stopping by Story Island. It was great having you here. It was awesome. I, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Make sure to check out the Facebook page Reading the Play. And to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee at Legacy. I really hope there is a piece of Jeff's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always... I'll catch you in the next episode.